think we're live now. <laughs> hey, everyone. Um, uh, at the breakfast sessions last Tuesday morning at Wellspring Anglican Church, we looked at the Bible story of Job, and I didn't get the chance to actually um, look at uh, the, the final question I had in that um, uh, sermon lecture, which was, why is the book of Job so long? Um, and so I thought I'd just record this little Facebook Live um, so that we can tackle that question together. Um, why is the book of Job so long? It's a strange book, and if you've ever tried to read your way through the Bible, you, 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 get a, you can relate to the fact that, gosh, it's a long book too. Why is it so long? It seems so repetitious in a way. What's the deal with that? It doesn't seem to advance. It's not that Job kind of slowly takes on board the insights of his um, uh, friends and counsellors, um, or that they kind of adjust their feedback in the light of the things Job says and there's like this building of shared common knowledge through dialogue. You know, some people even say that originally the book of Job was two books. There was the simple kind of fairy tale of chapters one and two with Job suffering and Satan arguing with God. And then there's the very final chapter, the restoration of Job. And then they said all these dialogues in between were a separate book. Um, look, I mean, maybe. But sooner or later, someone thought, let's put this all together and it makes sense as a whole. So if it makes sense as a whole, what's it about? What's it mean? Um, how do you use a book like Job in your quiet times? How would you preach through it if you were doing more than just a single sermon? How, how would you actually go about tackling the whole thing? Um, it's strange. Why is it so long? What do you do with that? Well, firstly, partly I think the book, by being so long, actually articulates and communicates the experience of suffering. It's a vehicle uh, to grasp the depth of Job's pain and confusion and to appreciate that and to sit with that. And if you've ever been through serious suffering, had serious questions and challenges with God, you go, yeah, that's what it's like. It goes round and round and round and you keep wrestling with similar issues and people say similar sorts of things and you have to wrestle with how to reply to that. Um, it's not an abstract problem, suffering. Why is Job so long? It articulates the experience of suffering. And, you know, reading a book like Job, all the Psalms are like this too, um, there's a meditative benefit to it, uh, dwelling upon suffering, sitting with it. So there's something, I don't know if you can relate to this, something strangely consoling about pondering and dwelling upon the challenges of suffering, you know, and reading about others doing it. Theologian Don Carson says, suffering is like jumping into a bitterly cold lake. Even if you're psychologically prepared for it, it still knocks the breath out of your body when you do it. And, and the book of Job captures that experience. Feel free, by the way, to make comments and ask questions um, in, the, in the live stream if you're there. Um, secondly, why is Job so long? It demonstrates the reality of perseverance. So Job is, is the story about someone who suffers and doesn't reject God and turn from God and curse God and die. He argues with God, and he's angry at God, and, and he blames God in various ways, but he's still doing it to God, you know? Um, and he's, there's, a, there's a patience, a stubborn insistence, a, a sitting in it and, and pursuing God in it. He's pursuing justice. He's crying out for an answer from God. He's not giving up. Even if he's angry, even if he's full of doubts, um, he's still trusting God by 
challenging God with that anger and with those doubts. Um, The promise of the book of Job is a promise of blessing through perseverance. That's how Jesus' brother James talks about the book of Job in James chapter 5. He calls uh, his readers to account who seem to be poor Christians suffering and having trouble. Um, And he says, be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. James chapter 5 verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about, referring to Job 42 and his restoration and his final blessing. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Persevere through suffering. Hang in there. Jesus is coming back. Remember how Job's persevering through chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter ended up in blessing in the end. Hang in there. The length of the book rubs that in. If it was just a short, quick, sweet answer book, you'd go, well, suffering's not like that. And persevering's not like that. You see what I mean? So it demonstrates the reality of perseverance. And and partly, I think, in doing that, it captures this sense of boredom, frustration that comes with, um, with suffering. There's a limit to what his friends can say or explain. They might begin with some good truths, but quickly they become nasty and blunt and accusatory, you know, and the second and the third cycles of that as it goes on. And we get a sense by reading the book of what it's like to persevere and to suffer day after day after day after day. And if you've suffered or when you do suffer, you'll be able to relate to something of that. So why is it Job so long? It... it, captures the experience of suffering. It captures and encourages us in perseverance. Why is Job so long? It makes us wise. Even at the very beginning of the book, there are wise words that Job gives us when we first see Job's initial reaction to suffering. He says wise things. Now, of course, he's got a longer journey that he goes on, but that doesn't mean these initial reactions are wrong. They're very right. And oh, that we could say these things ourselves and really own these things. Listen to this bit of wise reaction. Job suffers great tragedy. And then he says in Job chapter 1 verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. What a reaction to suffering. And there might be, there's all sorts of turmoil he goes through through the rest of the book, but that is still wise. And that, if you get a grip on that, my goodness, you will have a pretty powerful tool in your toolkit for suffering. In the end, I'm at God's mercy, both for blessing and for trouble. I've got to submit myself to his will. I didn't come with anything <laughs> that I have a right to. And in the end, we will all die. And so I praise God, whatever comes. Likewise, in chapter 2, his wife says, curse God and die after he himself gets afflicted with these uncomfortable sores. Um, uh, Verse 9 of chapter 2, are you still holding on to your integrity, Job? Curse God and die. But he replied in Job chapter 2, verse 10, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job didn't sin in what he said. He, He... 
recognises again that in the end we're at God's mercy and we need to be willing to submit ourselves to God's mercy. Yeah? And, and I think a lot of the troubles and the doubts and the anger and the frustration and the despair we hit is because we kind of have ourselves set upon um, certain guarantees rather than being humbly willing to resign ourselves to God's will uh, and God's sometimes mysterious purposes. I mean, there's lots of other great wisdom in the book. There's some awesome stuff in the final long speech of Job after his friends don't say any more. There's this big, long chapter all about wisdom. That's just this big, long thing about how wisdom is precious and so much more precious than, than even wealth or, um, uh, or comfort. Where can wisdom be found, Job asks in chapter 28, verse 12. Where does understanding dwell? Man doesn't comprehend its worth. Wisdom can't be found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. It can't be bought with the finest gold. Its price can't be weighed in silver. It can't be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with wisdom, nor can it be had for jewels or gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of the mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush can't compare with it. It can't be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? Job says in chapter 28, verse 21, it's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. For he views the end of the earth and sees everything under heaven. When he establishes the force of the wind and measures out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it and said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil, that is understanding. There's wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Well, the way Job describes the godly life, there's lots of stuff there that can be learned from, like, again, his Job's complaint is he's suffering even though, you know, he, he didn't do anything to deserve it. And he describes something of his life. And again, there's wisdom in that. Again, why is the book so long? Because it gives us these little gems along the way. In Job 31, verse 1, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. For what is man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I've walked in the way of falsehood and my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and he'll know that I'm blameless. Or in verse 11 he says, um, uh, it would have been shameful, a sin to be judged um, uh, if I'd slept with another man's wife. It's a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. If I denied justice to my men servants and maid servants when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did he not make him, he who made me in the womb make my servants as well? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared him as he would a father and from my birth I guided the widow if I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment and his heart didn't bless me for warming him with the fleece of my sheep if I've raised my hand against the fatherless knowing that I had influence in court and then let my arm fall from the shoulder let it be broken off at the joint for I dreaded destruction from God and for fear of his splendor I couldn't do such things isn't that awesome there's again these a burden of responsibility here there's the wisdom this book is so long that it gives us these examples of job in his uh, out of his wealth caring for the poor and conducting himself with justice and with integrity 
it's just a bunch of good stuff along the way. You know, even in the dialogue with Job and his friends, most of the book is these cycles of Job talking and then Bildad and Eliphaz and, and so far and, and again and again and again. Um, even there, we're dealing with wise people. It's not that Job's friends are fools, absolutely, but Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar are not like buffoons. They're wise, thoughtful people. Um, they structure their theology and their advice wrong and they apply it wrong and they become, ah, they lack compassion and grace for Job in his suffering. They lack kind of nuance and that kind of thing. But um, as you read the book and as you meditate on the book, you still find true things there, even in his friends speaking. And so as you meditate and read on the book, it's good to stop and go, oh, hang on, what have they got that's right? Do you know what I mean? What, what, what have they said that actually you go, yeah, actually good point. Uh, even one of Bildad's speeches, chapter 5, verse 12, is quoted positively in 1 Corinthians 3, and part of Elihu's speech is quoted positively in Romans 11. So that shows that, that we can glean this kind of positive wisdom um, from all the characters. Why is Job so long? Uh, it, it, it shows the, the reality of suffering, the reality of perseverance. It makes us wise. And lastly, it teaches us theology. There's lots of great theology along the way. This great challenge of the, the great uh, sovereignty and transcendence of God as the creator in those big speeches of God to Job in chapters 38 to 41. That's powerful theology um, there. Um, but also along the way, there's these really cool little passages that I understand are tricky to translate and, and, uh, uh, and stuff in the Hebrew, but, but still are tantalizing because Job wants a hearing with God. He wants to, wants to meet with God and sort this out. And there are these really amazing little passages that pop up along the way. Let me just read two of them as I close. Um, first of all, then, Job 9, verse, um, uh, I'll go from verse 32. We could go earlier, but um, from verse 32. God is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand on us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it stands now with me, I cannot. Oh man, you read that as a Christian and you think about Jesus as God become a human being to be the one mediator between God and human beings, one who can put a hand on God and a hand on us and mediate between us. <laughs> it's, a, it's an exciting passage. Um, or Job 19. Uh, again, I understand a tricky passage to translate, but uh, uh, here at least is how the, um, the NIV translates it. Um, where should we just start? Verse 23, Job 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, how we will hound him since the root of trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. Isn't that interesting? My Redeemer lives, 
and will stand on the earth, and after my skin's destroyed, yet in my flesh I'll see God with my own eyes. So there's some good reasons <laughs> why Job um, is so long and why it benefits that slow, meditative, regular reading to really get all these uh, additional benefits in, uh, as well as the, the overview impact of the book. Well, I hope that was helpful too. I can see there's uh, the one person watching online there. If you want to ask any questions before I sign off, you're very welcome to. Just type it in the chat box. Um, uh, if you've got any questions or comments, I'll just wait for a minute in case you do. Otherwise, this will get posted up. Um, a little bit later on, these videos get embedded so people can always leave comments later on as well. Cool. All right, we're done.